Hello and welcome to Heroes Unmasked, staff stories from Leeds Teaching Hospital's NHS Trust with me, Caroline Verdon. Here's a question for you. What do world-class Mahjong players and professional footballers have to do with Leeds Teaching Hospitals? Answer? They all work for the hospitals. This series goes behind the scenes to meet directors, doctors, support staff and everyone in between to find out who the people behind the masks really are. Hello, uh, we've made it to episode three of our second series of Heroes Unmasked. And on today's episode, we meet Paul Carruthers. Now, Paul is the lead nurse for Gender Identity Development Service and Children's Endocrine Nurse Specialist Team at Leeds Teaching Hospital's NHS Trust. But what a lot of people don't know about him uh, is that he's also married to a man and they have two adopted children, one of whom has special needs. So let's find out a little bit more. Paul, take me right back. How did you meet your husband um so i would love to give you a lovely romantic story um (laughs) but that didn't happen (laughs) we were students i was a student nurse and he had moved over from ireland to do a a master's um and it was um, a gay night in an indie club in leeds um that we um, met each other over a couple of um double vodkas um and we were very much students. It was a very slow burner. Um, you know, we'd catch each other when we could and, and we'd date and we were both concentrating on our on our studies um, and being, you know, 22. Um, and then, um, and then yeah, right, after six months or a year, we it kind of started moving a bit quicker and then we moved in with each other and the rest, the rest is history, I guess you could say. And you have two boys. I do have two boys, yeah. Who I imagine, uh, as a mum of two boys, I imagine Mm -hmm. they keep you very busy. Very busy. Between that and work, um, it's no wonder that I'm always wanting to go to bed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, they're uh, 10 and 9, almost almost 11 and 10. Um, And yeah, yeah, um, they, they keep us very busy. So tell me a little bit about them. So we decided that early on that we wanted to become parents and at the time I worked in child protection so I always knew that adoption was the route for me um, and Ian my other half agreed and um, because of course there's other options that we could have went down such as surrogacy and um, trying to find egg donors but we knew that adoption was for us so we went um, and had our adoption process. Um, it took about two years, and it was it was quite it was quite tough. And um, they really delve into every part of your life. I mean, you can't imagine what they want to what they want to know about you, including your sex life, your finances, everything. You do question at times. You know, you just know is you. Do you really need to know that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and then um, our social worker said, I think I found you a child. We were approved for anywhere between the ages of zero and two. We had no preference to the gender of the child, which will probably come as no surprise considering the job I now do. Um, and Leon um, came to us um, and, well, we were shown his profile. Um, he was five months old at the time. Um, and, um, yeah, it, the, the ball started moving um, and he came to us at nine months of age um, and he was, it was just, you know, absolutely gorgeous, you know, with uh, adoption, a lot of adoptive parents can probably relate. You have a lot of anxiety. Will this be love at first sight? You know, how is this going to look? You know, we're not being delivered a baby um, straight from a, from a, a delivery suite and skin to skin contact. Um, 
but uh, you know we it was absolutely just love at first sight it was just this magical moment walking into his foster carer's home and just he was sat on the rug and I can remember it you know really really clearly um and it was just yeah, it was just super magical and it was just emotional and and love at first sight um so yeah so so leon came to us and at the time i'd taken 12 months adoption leave and um, lucky in the nhs that we were afforded the same as maternity leave um so that was the end of january um and that summer we were in ireland um and we got a phone call from our our previous social worker we thought we'd never hear from her again um to ask if i was sitting down and i said well i'm on a beach <laughs> in ireland <laughs> just believe it or not a beach in ireland <laughs> um and she's told us that birth mum had given birth again um and this time the child was very very sick um and and, and that was our second son so Mason was born at 27 weeks plus five days, so extremely premature um, and very, very sick child. Um, so it was a roller coaster. We were halfway into um, getting to know our first son and, and making the most of adoption leave. And, and then next thing we, we were preparing for our, our second son to come to us. And the sort of um, implications that that meant such as financially me having to go back to my boss in the NHS and HR and finding out how long I would have to come back to work for before I could go back off for another 12 months uh, as you can imagine my boss was absolutely delighted when I told <laughs> her that I'd be coming back after 12 months to work three months to go off for another 12 months <laughs> um, so yeah so so that so that that's how our family was was made it, it was a real you know we planned to adopt we never we would always would have went for another child um we chose ironically to just adopt one child at a time because we thought maybe you know adopting siblings you know people who adopt siblings are amazing but for us at that time we thought one child at a time but of course that wasn't meant to be we ended up with with getting siblings quite close together they're only um 15 months apart um and my youngest um we knew quite early on that he potentially was going to have some health problems um, and um, he has um, quadriplegic cerebral palsy, so he's st you know stiff muscles in all of his body, more so down his left side, in particular his left leg. So he's mobile, but he tires very, very easily, um, and finds that incredibly frustrating because he's the most amazing young boy that wants to do everything in the world that is possible to him. And we we tell him he can do anything that he wants to do, but sometimes that his disability does does hold him back. Um, and because of being born so early and um, being in um, intensive care for a few months with no primary carer, we weren't legally allowed to even go and visit him until all the um, paperwork had gone through, um, which was delayed considerably because birth mum was difficult to get hold of. That breaks my heart. Um, Our youngest was in was early and was in intensive care. And the reading that I've done at the time and since on the difference that having a nurturing person there to, to pick mm. and up and to hold and to cuddle mm. and just to mm. talk to the baby makes such a huge difference. How heartbreaking. It was really hard. And just going about our everyday life and knowing there was this baby and um, we, were, we weren't even allowed to get a photo of him. Um, it just felt really archaic and just wrong in, in, in lots of ways. But, you know, we just had to sort of follow the rules and, and, and wait wait for the time. Um, and then during the time, 
before he came to us, he was then discharged into foster care and he had a really quite amazing foster mum who really then nurtured him as best she could. Um, and then once some of the legal processes were underway, we were able to go around to the foster carer's home and visit him. But because there was a danger of legal things not all getting done and potentially at that time, birth family members were being approached to see if they would like to to have him. So they, um, I guess, tried to protect us and him and only allowed us to go once a week. But the foster carer was um, amazing and bent the rules and told us we could come whenever we wanted. So we were going every day um, and, you know, feeding him, bathing him, putting him to bed and, and building that relationship up. And once we knew he was ours um, legally and officially, then we started going around with his brother and he started to get to know him as well. So, And what was yeah. that like, the, you know, to, to be there when they met for the first time? you know i'd like to tell you it was like a disney movie but they had no real interest (laughs) 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 by this time leon was two and mason was about 11 months um and um yeah they were just like oh okay there's somebody else there and yeah um and it it was it was a difficult it was a it was an unusual time compared to meeting leon because when we met met mason he was i knew straight away being a peds nurse there was something not typical about him um and my husband was like oh for god's sake you know just leave your job at leave your job at the hospital and and um and he, i said no no i'm quite i'm just got a funny feeling um and i always suspected cerebral palsy because i used to call him my little wooden doll he just he wouldn't really bend in the middle and he wasn't floppy and um but the foster carer said oh I, I I've been told that's normal because of how premature he was and how unwell he was so I kind of I guess I fooled myself into maybe believing that but deep down I knew there was something that must be difficult because I think sometimes um having no knowledge of um you know the medical profession is sometimes the easier way to go when there's something wrong with your child because mm. your your brain doesn't doesn't know all the impacts that it, it could have and that it mm. might have and your brain doesn't know that worst case scenario mm. so that must have been really difficult mm. it was and I felt I felt quite lonely because I I was listening to what my husband was saying he didn't want he didn't want to hear it he was wanting to enjoy the moment and I was thinking oh god you know maybe I am just a, a pain in the backside going on like this and, and maybe am I just somebody that's thinking the worst but you know you know, I suppose now I can go, ha ha, I told you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not such a bad nurse after all. (laughs) But it was, yeah, it was, it yeah, I just, every day I was like, hmm, there's just something here, something here. Um, And, you know, it didn't, it, it, it wasn't a hindrance into our, you know, our decision to adopt him. But I was quite keen to find out quite quickly what we were dealing with. So, um, once he did come to us, he had a, a routine follow-up p- paediatric appointment two weeks after he came to us that had been booked with the foster carer. And when I took him along, the paediatrician was looking him over and said, well, you know, what do you think? How is he doing? And I said, I'm just in the back of my head, I just really worried he's got cerebral palsy. And she turned to me and said, yeah, he's got cerebral palsy. Um, and that was really, really difficult. You know, it was... We wouldn't change him for the world, but and 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 the way she 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 described it as being fairly severe cerebral palsy at the time. So of course, there I was, you know, five years down the line, imagining a, a fully converted house with a very disabled child, 
what impact that was going to have on on his brother, what the impact that was going to have on us. And it was really difficult um, to sort of get our head around it. And some people go into adopting disabled children from the word go, and they're just absolutely amazing people. But, you know, it wasn't, you know, hands up. It wasn't something we went into, just like I would argue a lot of, you know, biological parents don't go into falling pregnant going I want a disabled child you know it's it's not the it route that most people picture is it you know when it comes no, to family life and no, family holidays no. and things like that exactly and and I worked you know at the time with a lot of children with, with cerebral palsy so it was difficult um and it was difficult for um both of us and it was really difficult for all of our family parents everybody to sort of okay what does this mean um, and, and what we're going to do. And we are, I was really proud of us as a couple. We just pulled together and said, well, do you know what? He's our son. This is what's been dealt to us and dealt to him, more importantly. And we'll do our best to, to help him thrive. And I mean, honestly, if you could see him now, he's just incredible. He's in mainstream education. He was playing for uh, Leeds United Junior Cerebral Palsy football team. He horse rides every weekend um he runs around his playground at school even though his teachers are constantly trying to tell him to rest because then he gets really <laughs> cross to himself how because he ends up in pain but yeah it's it wasn't the pitch that was painted to us as a baby and and if it was and that that would have been how it was as well but um he's he's done amazing and um we just committed ourselves we threw ourselves into him we were lots and lots of physio um we paid for private physio we looked into alternative therapies and, and I'm a big believer when I park my nursing head um, that love love can prevail and love and nurture I think did prevail with, with Mason, definitely. Obviously, both boys are at school now. Do you think your experience of being a parent at school is the same as biological parents at school? No, no, not at all. Not at all. So... Not being adoptive parent, yeah, exactly the same, I would argue. Um, Same-sex parent, even, again, exactly the same. The boys go to an amazing school who um, really promote different families. um, But a child of special needs just is a whole different ball game. And unless you get a supportive school um, and supportive teachers on board, it can be really difficult. Unfortunately, we do have a really good school but at times you do question whether everybody truly understands him and what he's going through. And, um, you know, I think one of the things we call ourselves is, is just his biggest, you know, advocates. And, and we just have to keep reminding people, you know, I know he looks like he's doing great, but beneath that he's in pain, he's tiring. Um, and yeah, I mean, so you, you, you know, he, he has a one-to-one in school for some behavioral issues that he has and things have got a lot better for him. But there was a time um, when he was in year two where daily we were being called in to tell us what he'd done, what he hadn't done. Um, you're standing on a playground with parents going, oh, has your little Johnny done his five times tables yet? And I'm like, God, if he could only count to five, I'd be... I'd be pleased, you know, and and I think that's drummed into parents from a young age. Like, are they walking yet? Are they weaned yet? Have they stopped their dummy yet? And that carries on into the playground. And I don't think parents, until you're a, a parent of a child with, with additional needs, that you actually realise that that sometimes is the narrative that's happening on the playground. You know, is your child doing this yet? How are they doing with this? And, you know, 
in the parents whatsapp groups there's regularly messages going um how did they do with the spelling test what's the spellings this week well you know my children might only get three words to do in their spelling test which might be from nursery level so you, you do feel quite um marginalized and it can be quite lonely as a as a parent of somebody with special needs and and i just and i, I just don't think anybody truly really understands how hard it is what would your advice be to somebody else who was in your position and finding it difficult and has a child with special needs so i'm i've a few things that's worked well for me and is that i have a colleague um who's a mum of somebody with um um special needs and she's been really good when i talk to her i just really feel you, you know you, you're understanding what i'm saying here because i know you you've you've been there so if you can find somebody either asking school to put you in touch with somebody or or any sort of local facebook groups there's there's loads out there but um a charity that's amazing and has has been amazing for us and i've fundraised for them in, in the past is scope um and scope if you approach scope you you can get allocated a key worker um they can put you in touch with other parents in your area and i think nobody truly knows what it's like unless they're in your shoes people can absolutely try and and try and understand it and say the right things but nobody really truly understands what it's like and i think it's for me whenever i talk to other parents um you know of children with special needs it's 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 just a completely different experience and the same with other adoptive parents in my, in my community with children who've got some you know additional needs relating to their identity and things again nobody is going to truly understand that unless you've been through that yourself um so that would be my advice it would be to try and find somebody try and find somebody in your shoes and if you can't then use scope they're amazing that's really great advice. Paul, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to have a chat with us. I really appreciate it. Uh, coming up on next week's episode, we speak to Waliat Hussain, who is a consultant, dermatological and Mohs micrographic surgeon. But what a lot of people don't know about him is that he also works for the England cricket team. Heroes Unmasked is an under-the-mast audio production.